0: the Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts the salary cap and business of sports today's edition of the Spot Track podcast is presented by The Athletic visit the athletic.com/spottrack in your web browser register using that URL get yourself 40% off your first year subscription download that app you will be checking it every single morning based on your favorite teams your favorite leagues and as always it is exclusive add free content at your fingertips. TheFAudit.com slash SpotTrack. Get you started today. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Monday morning. Excellent NBA weekend. Excellent baseball weekend. Dodgers-Mets. Yankees continue to pour it on. We're going to talk a little bit of Yankees at the back end of the show. I did a piece last week that details the Aaron Judge situation to the very best of my ability. Okay. I, uh, I put more time into writing the article than I've done with many articles on spotrack.com in the past couple of years and I, uh, I stand by it. So I will kind of summarize and reference that to some degree to give a, uh, a verbal view at where I think things stand. And by the way, he's done nothing but prove me right since I wrote the piece. So I do believe that uh, it's a special year, maybe for both he and the Yankees. And if that's the case and he decided to bet on himself on April seventh when he said no to that initial extension only good news for Aaron judge over the next couple of months and certainly into those winter months when free agency hits that's the back end of the show Uh, i'll start a little bit here with rafael nadal the numbers are ridiculous um he he bags himself another 2.4 million for french open number 14 for a major title number 22 Obviously, both of those are the top of the list right now. I do believe Djokovic will, will at the end of the day, be the major title king. And you can say what you want about that and think what you want about that. But it's been a pretty damn good men's tennis era. And if you're a fan or not, I think we all kind of get tangled up in that when these four majors happen, because one of these guys, and I know Federer is sort of out of the picture right now, but one of these guys is always relevant. It seems like one of them is always there. And we take that for granted you know, uh, you know, if you think about it from the women's perspective, there's just always been a Venus, a, a Williams sister or a Sharapova or, or somebody to that degree in the conversation. And now there's not. So you're hearing names. And by the way, there's an incredible story in women's, women's tennis happening, but it doesn't have that global flair, that, that immediate attraction to it. Um, you know, a name presence and brand that this men's game does. So when something like this happens with Nadal. doll, it just becomes a sports story, whether you're a tennis fan or not. Uh, he jumps Federer into number two all-time in career earnings. And if Federer does not return, and I hope he, sh- he can get back for Wimbledon and, and maybe call it a career. But Nadal has now moved into second place behind Djokovic with $130.6 million earned on the court, just slightly surpassing Federer at, at number two here. It's been a hell of a run. He's earned $27 million just at the French Open. He's done 18 French Opens. He's won 14 of them. He is truly the king of clay. The foot's bad. You can tell by his voice. You can tell by the words he's trying not to say out loud that there's some serious situations happening there. He was basically cortisone injected the whole way here for two and a half weeks. That's no way to live. That's no way to play. So I expect some major news with that from an injury standpoint. And, you know, his uh, very talented, very probably well-paid doctors may look at him and say, you can do this. You know, you can try to push yourself through Wimbledon and, and and even the U.S. Open because, oh, by the way, he also won the Australian Open, so there's a chance that he can kind of finish this thing off with a, with a grand slam, which would be incredible, but I don't think it would truly surprise any of us. So he's got a lot of reasons here to push. Um, but, you know, the very smart doctors may look at him and say, we would recommend you shut it down. You know, you can try to get some serious surgery and fight back from that, and that does seem on brand for him. But if this is the last that we see of him at, at a very high level, oh, what a joy it was. <laughs> Rafael Nadal on clay. The quarterfinal against Djokovic was legendary, and the uh, semifinal was unfortunate with the inj- injury to Dverev this was kind of a a snoozer, the final, but still just as enjoyable because of what the outcome and the result was going to be. So if this is it, it's been a hell of a ride. He, uh, he certainly earned his dollars in doing so, but the, uh, the grace and the, and the fight and the determination and, and the gratitude that he has shown and given us, let alone what we've been able to enjoy from him has been quite the two way street. So That's all I got to say there. It's kind of a little parting shot. I I don't expect good news from an injury perspective from him. And I don't think he owes us anything. He may owe himself. Like I said, he may try like hell to fight back, especially with the grand slam in order. But if not, it's been plenty Raphael. That's for sure. All right. I got a quick NFL segment here. And then, like I said, I'll move on to Aaron judge, but it's a fun time for the NFL here. It really is. Look, the, the all-in status of some of these teams, the good teams, has really made for 12 months of conversation. And we don't have to just kind of scrounge for content anymore because what the Rams did last year, what the Buccaneers did two years ago, to some degree, what the Bills did with that Stefan Diggs dig trade, digs trade, they, there's no more sitting on your hands. It's, there's no more at this time of the year teams saying, well, we wish we had a couple more pieces or we wish we had used a little bit. I, nobody's wishing anymore. They're going all in, right? If you are a top five, top six projected team, according to Vegas or in your own brain, you're just doing everything you can possibly do. I mean, you need to look no further than Cleveland and $230 million fully guaranteed, right? I mean, that's, that's as good financially all in as you can be in this sport specifically. So there's a couple of all in moves, or teams at least, that have some situations. I've, I've been referencing Aaron Donald now for a couple of shows. I'm going to stick with the Rams, but it's Cooper Cup's time. And off the top here, what Cooper Cup is saying publicly may confuse some people. And what he's basically saying is, I don't want a top of the market deal. I want a team-friendly deal. I want to keep this thing light. I want to keep this thing flexible and blah, blah, blah. And that may sound like hearsay and, oh, he's just saying all the right things. It's not that he's saying the right things. It's when he's saying them right? Because I just did a show. Everybody's talking about OTA holdouts and people that are disgruntled and people that want top of the market reset contracts. right? The Debo's, the, I mean, even Aaron Donald to some degree has been publicly saying, I need 30 million a year. I'm just going to quit. <laughs> right? I mean, even his own teammates have kind of gone to these lengths. So that is generally the narrative. And that's not new. That's every June we get to this point where volu- you know, voluntary workouts get here. 10 or so players are sitting on the sidelines or sitting at home and their agents have to hit, get to Twitter or get on in front of a microphone or tweet or text Adam Schefter and basically say like, hey, my guy's not there looking for a new deal. I just want to get some love. It's just normal. It's just how the NFL operates and many sports operate this way. But in the face of that, Cooper Cup's PR people slash agent slash just himself and his personality have said, I'm going to go all the way to the other side of the spectrum. And not only am I going to say, yeah, I'm looking for a new contract, but I'm looking to play ball here. You know what I mean? Like I love this team. I love this organization. Stafford and I have a great connection. He's made me better. He's saying that as well, right? Because even though I think we damn well know Matthew Stafford has never had a guy like Cooper Cup in front of him. So he's saying all the right things, but at the very right time to be saying them. he is the unicorn almost a lot of disgruntled conversations and narratives below him. So it's brilliant stuff from him. And I wouldn't expect anything less if you've heard him on interviews and heard him speak publicly. It's just kind of the nature of this guy. And it's a nice transition from Rafael Nadal, by the way, who I think is the, one of the kings of that in terms of the last generation of sports. So look, he's going to get paid. And I'm not going to detail all of the numbers here for you. But I'll tell you off the bat, in our system, our algorithm has him at four for one ten. That's 27 million plus per year. That's probably the what a baseline top of the market contract would be, right? Tyreek Hill's 30 is fine. It's not really 30. Okay, there's a lot of fluff in there. It's, it's heavily backloaded to get it to 30 and I'm, whatever. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? The numbers are the numbers. But I don't think that's what Cooper comes looking for here. And by the way, that's not how the Rams do business. They, uh, they are aggressive with these contracts. They are aggressive with early guarantees. They're going to take care of him, if not so much on the AAV, with three, two two and a half to three years of guarantees up front, and then a fourth year by one or two two offseasons. It's just how this is going to be. So I think more long-term with Cooper Cup than I do immediate impact or some of the funny numbers. He's got two for 29 and a half left. It's almost two for 30. So you know, the 15 for a year, I don't think too many guys would be gawking at that if they weren't Cooper Cup on the Los Angeles Rams. And everybody around him is getting top of the market contract and he knows what's going on here. Um, Stefan Diggs just got repaid in, in Buffalo and it's a perfect comp. They're about 150 days apart in age. They're on two of the best teams in football. Both their quarterbacks have big time contracts. Now it's, it's a very, very similar connection. So if Diggs gets 24 million a year, you know, He's getting 124 over six years total, but really only three for 68 of that is practical until a couple of restructures kick in and give himself that fourth year. And when you're talking fourth year, you're talking about 86 million for Those are the numbers I'm looking at here. You know, if we're talking 30 million is already there, well, then we just turn that into a bonus, give him a nice fresh signing bonus. So he gets... 30 million this year instead of 15 million this year, or even 31 with his base salary lowered. That drops his cap hit down into the $10 million mark. So you're saving about $8 million in cap right there. So already 2022 is looking better because Cooper Cup's under contract. He's got some guarantees and he's got a lower cap hit for the Rams. If you're talking 90 million over the next four years, that's top three in wide receivers, right? It's well behind Devontae Adams, who's getting hundred, almost 104 million over the next four years from Las Vegas. But you can understand what happens there with what they had to give up to get him. I think that's probably what we're talking about. We're not talking about a middle of the pack wide receiver contract here, in my opinion. And if it, and if that's what happens, good for him, right? Because that's really playing ball. I don't believe that should be the case. To me, his second contract was already team friendly enough to say, "Gotta give me, you gotta push a little bit here, at Los Angeles," and they have. I mean, look. All you really have to do is look at Jalen Ramsey's contract, right? Shouldn't the guy catching the balls be be as well compensated as the guy stopping the balls from being caught on your team? I look at it that way. So if we're talking about 22 to 23 million a year, you know, tack on three years to the two years remaining, make this thing four for 90, you know, two and a half of that fully guaranteed at signing. Year three fully locks in next March. Year four fully locks in March of 2024. That's it. That's all we're talking about here. And then he's basically signed through 31, age 31, with age 32 as possible, and he's aligned with Stafford's guarantees and all that good stuff. Pretty simple stuff for me here, so I'm not going to knock on that too much. If he takes less than 22 million a year, if he takes, if he gets less than you know two years, if he gets less than three years guaranteed at signing, I'll be surprised. I really will be. And if that four-year payout is low 80s, high 70s, I'll be extremely surprised because that you're talking lower top 10 wide receiver pay and not so much that top five money where he absolutely belongs to be. All right, one, big, uh, one more big breakdown, then a couple of who's next candidates for contracts, and then we'll switch gears to baseball. Russell Wilson, there's a lot of talk right now about if Denver should strike right now on his contract after basically seeing voluntary workouts with the guy. I've spoken to this before. I have not changed my opinion. My answer is still no. And I don't think we have to look any farther than the Rams. Why would Denver do anything different than what the Rams have just done, which is bring in the guy, let him percolate for a year. Look, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. So this isn't going to be the Rams, you know, path to a T. But that's how they should be thinking. And by the way, that's all they should be saying to Russell Wilson and his agency, which is just got to give it a year. And, and I'm going to give you some more reasons why, because it's not just the fact that Russell has had a really weird year and a half, because I actually think Stafford had a very similar situation in Detroit. And I think part of it was just complacency. Part of it was just angst, maybe some jitters, right? I, I'm ready to go. The team kind of is uh, has been shopping me now for a couple of off seasons. It's just a weird scenario to be in. There was some uncomfort. You could tell in both those scenarios. So I think there's a lot of crossover here between Stafford leaving, joining a new team, and now Wilson joining a new team. The differences are pretty stark, though, right? For, for, you know, it's not fair to me to say this, but Russell Wilson's not walking onto a team that has Aaron Donald on defense. He just doesn't. Nobody does. So that's why it's not fair, but it's certainly not, you know, it's not false. There's a lot of question marks. Not a ton. It's a good team. It's a team that should win ball games, But, but the Rams had a roster that was 100% ready to go. And maybe even more importantly, they had a coaching staff and a system in place that was plug and play. Everybody knew the role. Everybody knew exactly what was going on. Sean McVay's system was already had bought into by 80% of that roster. And really the only thing that had to happen quickly was Matthew Stafford coming in, getting that, getting that playbook and just as quickly as possible, getting up to speed, building chemistry with Cup, all those things that, you know, happened because we've heard and seen the stories that. Everybody went above and beyond Stafford, McVay, Cup, you know, or Beckham when he got in town. Everybody went above and beyond to make sure that they could expedite that process. That's just not what's going to happen here. Okay. Denver has a new coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a new special teams coordinator, and maybe in a week or so, a new freaking owner even, right? Everything is new, including the quarterback now, right? Everything. Yes. The weapons are basically the same, actually like 95% the same. The offensive line is fairly consistent and decent, above average. And there's a lot of defensive players that are the same. Randy Gregory is kind of a home run acquisition, right? It's going to be a hit or miss. DJ Jones, I thought, was a very smart acquisition. I thought he had a great 2021 and he can be that run stuffing kind of guy. And they've been building the secondary up for two years. All right, They, they knew exactly what kind of quarterback situation divisionally they were getting themselves into. And I, I applaud them for that. They were they were adding defensive backs when nobody else said they should be, and I applaud them for that because I do think they're in a great place there now, maybe even a surplus. But it, it is unrealistic to think that Russell Wilson can a return to Russell Wilson form, which to me is the most important part of 2022. It's not. Is this an AFC Championship worthy team? It's not even. You know, are are we full of Pro Bowlers? Right? Are we we don't. I don't even need to see this team be maximum effort, gelling, perfect. Denver's going to be the team to beat in 2023. I just need to see signs of that. I need to see signs that Nathaniel Hackett's system has been bought into that there are some weeks where everything's clicking. Russell is showing signs of being Russell of two years ago. He's not going to be that, you know, to to 100% degree, but signs that he can get there. And then just some chemistry, you know, all the things that happened in 11 seconds for Stafford and the Rams. I think it's going to take I think it's reasonable to assume it's going to take all of 2022 to figure that out in Denver. So why pay him before that happens? And I know the argument and I've seen it three four times just in some research this morning. The argument is well if you don't pay him now it's going to be ridiculous next year, right? If they if they show signs that they're going to be great and even if they win 10 11 ball games this year or even more, now what are you getting yourself into, folks? <laughs> We have a $230 million fully guaranteed contract and a $50 million per year contract to a 37-year-old, right? I mean, I think the glass ceiling has been shattered at this position. This position is just whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. There's no rhyme or reason. There's not even any, any really projection anymore, you know? There's no way to pro- probably project Aaron Rodgers because of he's defying age, right? He's, his team has shown that they will do anything it takes. To keep him specifically anything, including trading a wide receiver who they couldn't afford. It is, it is basically just chaotic. It's a cowboy world out there. It's it's a total cowboy world. And thinking that you're going to get value in Russell Wilson now because what? He had a bad couple of years on a team that was floundering. It's just not, it's just not Russell Wilson has always been a top of the market quarterback, just like Aaron Rodgers, just like Peyton Manning was back in the Denver days, right? He didn't take less. He knew what he was getting himself into. Everybody wants the year to percolate, and I—I I would assume so does Russell. He's got two for what I think fifty left on the contract. He's fine for a year. He'll make more than Matthew Stafford made last year. So, I—I I think we're uh, we should all be okay. Just kind of pausing this button, letting some things slowly gather, because there's going to be a lot of comparisons to. The Broncos this year versus the Rams last year versus when Brady dropped into Tampa Bay. I don't think it's fair. I just don't think it's fair. Now, I know new head coach came with Brady. I don't put Brady in this conversation. And you can love him or hate him. But the dude just defies all the analysis we can possibly <laughs> or, or even project, right? So he's in his own world with this conversation. And it's possible Rodgers would have been there too if he would have jumped ship and maybe even joined the staff. I think I'd have a different conversation if this was Aaron Rodgers joining Denver than it is Russell Wilson. But to me, Russell Wilson needs as much of a of half a year to a full year to reestablish himself than Denver does. Right? It's a it's kind of a marriage made in heaven here, but it's going to take some time. There's no reason to pay early, none. To me, that's just an NBA style move where you're betting on the future in a world where nobody should even be building for the future in sports. You're building for the now. You have got this guy under contract, he's decently paid and give it just give it some time and you're not going to be giving yourself any kind of value, all right? He's 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 going to be asking for 50 today. Right? And if you don't if you think Burrow's getting 50 or Herbert's getting 50 and they're going to reset the market next year with their contracts, even Kyler or Lamar to some degree, A, I think you're wrong. I don't think anybody's going to push that $50 million mark. Close, right? I mean, 45, 46 is going to be there. But my point is, even if somebody gets to 50, even if Burrow gets back to the Super Bowl this year and then demands Aaron Rodgers' contract, nobody's going to shatter that number to the point of where you're, you're getting tons of value by signing Russell right now. Wait it out. Wait the whole process out. By the way, let the next donor take care of it if you're Pat trust, right? So lots of news news take time. And, uh, that's exactly what should happen with Russell Bolson's next contract. All right. A couple of other players. I'm going to fly through this and I'm going to post this, uh, along with this podcast on com. So I will uh, push some links out to both the audio and the written version of this. I, uh, took notes with coffee and just kind of formulated my thoughts here about <clears throat> players who have not held out or have not been franchise tagged that I think probably are in legitimate contract conversations. If not this off season, possibly in season, definitely before the uh, next league year hits. Mick, Fitzpatrick's the no brainer, I think this one gets done by camp. The problem is there's, there's like four safeties, three or four safeties here. All who legitimately should be, should be signed here. Derwin James is probably number two in line. I, I know we had a conversation about Jesse Bates during the holdout situation with him in uh, Cincinnati. I, He's worth the money that we're talking about here from Minka for Derwin James, but he's last on this list. I just don't think since he gets there. I don't. I think they want to play on the franchise tag and pay him that money, that, that 11 million-ish, and then move on, or, or double tag him even. But I don't think they want to go 18 million with two and a half years guaranteed. That is what Minka will get, and that is what Derwin James will get. And to me, that's a staring contest of who goes first. But I believe both these guys will get Pre or during training camp contracts, and it'll be about the four for 70. So the safety market's big, and Jamal Adams kind of broke that ceiling. Um, the Packers, I don't think, are done because they have a very good situation in front of them with Elgin Jenkins, the offensive lineman, who has played basically every position on that line for them, and he projects to be the right tackle, the starting right tackle this year. He's in an expiring contract. He's a candidate to move to left tackle next year. If David Bakhtiari has moved on from his contract as an out, out after 2022, he certainly had some injuries that would th- get you thinking in that direction. So it's a bit of the, you know, the old Eagles move where they, they groom all these offensive linemen to play all these positions. They're a right guard one year and all of a sudden they're, they're the starting left tackle for the next five years. You know, that's just generally what Philly has done over the past decade. And guys have gotten great contracts because of it. So uh, Jordan Mulata is now the left tackle for Philly. He's getting $16 million a year because he wasn't the left tackle when he signed this contract. He was about to be, but he was a guard slash right tackle. It's a very similar situation. So let's just put him on that money. Let's just say Elgin Jenkins should get $16 million a year right now because of his versatility. And it's a huge pay raise from where he was from a draft perspective. And if he becomes a $16 million left tackle and he can stick there, then he's great value to Green Bay. But I just think that's that's where you have to at least start with this conversation, and I do think that gets done this off season because of what may happen after twenty twenty two. The uh, discussion in Indy has been Kenny Moore, who has been holding out for a new contract. I think I, I gave my opinion pretty strongly in the last show where I don't believe that should even be a discussion for Indy. And here's another reason why they got to pay their guard, who they drafted number six overall, and I think could at the end of the day be become one of the or if not the best guard in the history of NFL, the NFL and Quentin Nelson. He's had some injuries. So there's been a bit of a slow to that pace, but he's going to destroy this market. It's currently sixteen and a half million and a half million right now at Brandon Sheriff and Jacksonville. I, I have a feeling that Quentin Nelson is going to respond to 20 million a year. Now, 18 probably where it should be, but with left tackles and right tackles, uh, you know, at the $20 million mark at this point, center money has really shot up. The interior line stuff has really become more and more important with the quicker uh, release points of quarterbacks and, and all that stuff to spread offenses. So this guy's just the class. I mean, he is the first class, top of the class, however you want to say it. And he was drafted number six overall. And you can say that shouldn't matter. It matters. It matters where you started based on where you have to get to. So if 16 and a half million is the market, like I said, 18 is probably fair value. I think 20 million, four for 80, tacked on to his fifth year option right now is probably where this thing ends up. And oh, by the way, and I said it last week, Indy pays top dollar. When, you, when they've got a guy they know is a guy, they don't screw around with it. They've got a really good reputation with that. And I think that they're going to hold to that here with Quentin Nelson. Uh, a bit of a holdout that I missed last week that I'm going to bring into this conversation. Jordan Poyer staying away from the Bills. He's got one year, about 7 million left in that contract. Micah Hyde got, got his extension last year. Brandon Bean has staggered these two to keep them together. It's been really good business. I expect we get there. Um, look, the safety market has shot up, as we just talked about, right? It's gonna be about 18 million a year in the next couple of weeks here, with some of these guys coming off rookie contracts. That's not the conversation for Poyer. He's not in $18 million per year. He's been around the nine to ten mark for his last couple of contracts in Buffalo. And he's been outstanding. And I, I think he's a fixture. I think he deserves to stick around here for the rest of this contention window, which should be at least two to three years. So if he's got one for seven left, do we add 20 million to that? Two for 20, make this three for 27 around that mark. Guarantee a year and a half of it with a, with, with a chance to get two years on a roster bonus, something like that. Makes a lot of sense. Put him in the $13 million range. That should be enough to get this thing done and get him back in the in Buffalo before before camp starts in the end of July. Not a discounted contract, all right? But also on the defensive side of the ball. Tennessee is having a weird year, and it may not be done, right? I mean, they they punted on Julio. They traded away A.J. Brown, and that was financial, I think, more than anything. Derrick Henry's in and out year. There's no question about that. They may extend him because that's where they want to go with their offense. And certainly Ryan Tannehill's in and out year. They did not restructure Tannehill. He holds the highest cap hit in all of football. That's a sign to me that that this is a one-and-done situation where if he doesn't play his butt off and get this team back into legitimate AFC contention, they're going to move on, and they're going to find themselves either Malik Willis next year or some sort of veteran presence to replace Tannehill. That's where things stand right now. So offensively, Tennessee's in flux. There's no question about it. But defensively, they've added Bud Dupree. They, re- they re-signed Harold Landry. They put some money into Kevin Byron in that secondary over the past couple of seasons. They've got some decent contracts and showed some... Uh, some good faith financially on the defensive side of the ball. And Jeffrey Simmons is the next guy in line. He's a super versatile defensive tackle, can rush rush the passer off the edge, kind of a mini Aaron Donald in, in a lot of people's minds. He's a $20 million player. He was drafted high. He has shown he's worth the buck. He was a $15 million player heading into last year. I remember going on Tennessee radio and speaking that this guy was definitely up and coming, and he had a monster 21. Monster. So if Aaron Donald's going 30 and I'm telling you Jeffrey Simmons is 20, I'm probably going low, right? Because the, the going rate for these kind of players, you know, Washington just signed a bunch of their linemen and there's going to, they're going to have great value because they struck early. Uh, they probably, Tennessee probably waited a year too long on, on this guy because of what he did last year season wise. But he's a, he's a $20 million player now. So that's uh, the conversation to be having there. I've had a good conversation about San Francisco past couple of shows because of Debo and, and, and the flux with Garoppolo and things like that in the cap space. Um, they've moved some things around, restructured a player. You know, Alex Mack retired. As I mentioned, that might be the case. I think they're going to have some injury situations where they can lower some cap hits from non-football injuries. And uh, D Ford will be released here, which really doesn't save too much cap, but it's going to at least help get some of these contract situations figured out. I believe now after reading some more tea leaves that Debo will not be the first to sign this extension, if at all. So I'm putting the focus on Bosa here, Nick Bosa, who should be right there with his brother. His brother's at 27 on a really good chargers roster. TJ Watt went 28 per year in Pittsburgh. And to me, that's the baseline. That's that's where I'm starting if I'm Nick Bosa and this contract negotiation. And like I said, if Aaron Donald comes in at 30, Most of these defensive edge rushers are going to have threes in front of them going forward. That's just the the lay of the land. So is Bosa waiting out Aaron Donald? Yes. No question about it. And like I said, 28 is the starting point. It should go north of that though. And finally, it's weird in Seattle, right? And DK Metcalf should be paid at this point. This is the time for him to say yes, in my opinion, even if he wants to get the hell out of there in 12 months or 18 months. We've seen that that's been possible, especially at that position. There's a a need for acquiring wide receivers via trade. It's a good way to do business. You can lower the contract. You can structure the cap hits properly. I think he should just take the contract if one has been offered. I realize Drew Locke is the quarterback. I realize that it could be Baker Mayfield. It could be Sam Darnold. It could be Jimmy Garoppolo at some point. I realize that. He's probably not psyched about any of that. But if they're offering him A.J. Brown's contract four for 100, you take it. And you make him front-load it. And you make him put a lot of it into bonus. So that when you do get traded, it looks like Odell Beckham Jr.'s contract coming out of New York, going to Cleveland, where it's an unbelievable value and and, and to the point of where you play one year well for your new team and you get another contract after that. So essentially, you're signing a four-year contract that becomes a one or two-year contract, rip it up, get yourself another big signing bonus and start over at age, what, 26 for Metcalf? I think it's the right move for him from a business standpoint even if Seattle's a dumpster fire in the next six to seven months. And they probably should be for draft purposes. But I don't think you should say no to a contract. Get the contract done, then get yourself out versus A.J. Brown's, which was get me out of town and I'll negotiate a contract as I'm being traded. Now look, same agent, tons of experience doing both, right? Chris Godwin returning, Mike Mike Williams returning, A.J. Brown trade and sign. This agent's seen it all in the past 12 months or six months even. So DK could go any route. My recommendation would be stay right where you are. Everybody knows your quarterback situation. You're not going to get nicked down because your production dips with Drew Locke. Get your money. Strike while the iron is hot. Reset your career in a new market when you have to. But I don't think right now is the time to, to raise a stink. I think right now is the time to sign the contract, then move on talk some baseball. All right. At the time of this piece, the Yankees are 39-15. and It's a 722 win percentage. By far the best in baseball. The Mets second right behind them. So a good time to be a New York baseball fan. But specifically with the Yankees, a team that I had some people on over the offseason. Cousin Dan was on with me quite a bit. I didn't believe in them. I didn't think they did enough. Certainly at the top of the rotation. I didn't believe in their bullpen. I still don't believe in their bullpen. But they're winning games despite all those things having problems. right? Their run differentials over 100. They're just uh, beating the bad teams the right way and sticking in long games with the good teams. They're doing exactly what good teams should be doing right now. And uh, probably a few trades ahead of them as well to even improve their roster. So I give them full credit. With that said, they tried. They offered. Aaron Judge, $213.5 million over seven years, starting next year. Didn't get done. <laughs> okay, he said no. He wants to test free agency. He wants to talk to 30 teams. He did not rule out coming back to the Yankees. I don't think, I, I would have to imagine that staying with the Yankees at the top of his list. If this team is going to be this good and be this successful, and he can thrive in this offense like he is right now, leading the league in pretty much all the major stat, uh, power categories. This is where we're headed. That we're headed for the showdown of potential World Series winner and AL MVP hits the open market. It's exciting stuff for nerds like me. All right. So, if I'm telling you that the 213 over seven was actually a bit of an, it was a pretty much a fair value offer by the Yankees. I, from a stat standpoint and games missed and injuries and things like that, I, I have so many things that negate, right? That, that lower percentages in our algorithm. I couldn't even get Aaron Judge to 30 million a year from a calculation standpoint. So the fact that the Yankees went 30 and a half, I give him credit. I, mean, I think it was a strong offer. To me, Aaron Judge wants eight years, eight new years, not including this year, right? And that's what he's waiting out for. Now, he wanted to see that the Yankees could get themselves back into AL contention, which they certainly have done for two months. I think he wanted to make sure that he was going to be able to thrive in this offense because I'm not sure he and Stanton are the best one-two punch, and that's why guys like Donaldson matter. That's why guys like uh, D.J. LeMahieu getting back in, in order matter. That has happened. So it's good news, I think, for everybody in New York who's following this story very, very closely, understanding that it would be very easy for Aaron Judge to leave, and everybody knows that the San Francisco Giants have been all in on this guy. So what my piece on SpotShirt.com basically breaks down is a couple of things. A, why this year wasn't important to the contract. This was his final year of arbitration. Aaron Judge went on eight years plus this year. Not, that's why the seven-year contract offer to me was immediately shot down, regardless of what the price tag was. So it was important for Judge and his agent to get to, to uh, arbitration this year, the third and final year. Not many guys are doing this anymore. Most guys are at least avoiding early, extending early, even doing like two-year extensions to finish out arbitration so they don't don't go through the process. But from a, a player's association standpoint, it's really important when guys like Judge do this because it gets the system updated. You need huge production to get adjudicated, to get arbitrated, because it helps everybody else below them. There's... Some simple math to this, right? If you've got a guy who's hitting 50 home runs being arbitrated, well, now that salary, which we, you know, the Yankees are offering 17, he's countering at 22. That's the hearing right now that is set to be seen June 22nd. So still a couple of weeks away. That's the gap. It's a $5 million gap between team and player here because of what Aaron Judge's production can do. Now, a couple of things off the top here, and I mentioned this in the article. The fact that there's a June arbitration hearing is not normal. That's because of the lockout. This stuff is always done before the season. So, nothing that Aaron Judge is doing right now on the field in 2022 will factor in to the arbitration result, you know? Because otherwise, he'd be getting the 22 million in three seconds. Okay. <laughs> but that's not the case. It's all based on 2021. But you understand my point. We need great players. To go through this process so that the process can continue to grow. It's the same as it was important for Bryce Harper to get 330 million, right? Instead of taking 200 or three for 100, like Carlos Correa decided to do, you know, that doesn't help some of the players who are looking for one and done contracts. I love it. You know me in the short contracts, but I know that doesn't move the game forward from a major contract standpoint. So, similar conversation with arbitration. You have to have guys like Judge and and his girth. Get to this process year one, year two, year three, maybe even year four, like Chris Bryant, and continue to push the numbers forward, evolve the system, make them account for somebody who's got 50 home runs, 120 RBIs versus a more slightly above average player who's, you know, 15 homers, 70 RBIs. What do we do with that guy? All right, he's 18, you know, he's a $12 million player this year. When he hits the open market, he'll get his 20 million. Well, that's the problem, right? They're getting. Low-balled in arbitration, and now they're getting low-balled in free agency. So it's important for Judge to get there. I'm happy with what he's doing, and I'm uh, I'm not mad at him for for holding out here for free agency. I think it's a good move for the Players Association and for the players themselves. So what happens if he gets the free agency? All right, because he's going to be 30 years old, and that's a scary number in baseball, as has been shown in free agency over the past couple of years. So in the piece, I lay out the last five years of free agency, the top three contracts, the ages of those contracts. And then I throw it to the actual top 30, 30 age plus contract from that free agent year. You know, as you imagine, you don't have 31-year-olds getting $300 million. You know, Harpers, Seegers, those kind of players, they're middle, middle 20s. And rightfully so, that's where the money should be going. That's how it should be allocated right now in any sport. But I, I can't sit here and tell you that 30-year-olds haven't been compensated properly. But they also haven't been given 275 million dollar contracts, which is what basically eight years of Aaron Judge would be right now. We have not seen that in free agency. Certainly players have been extended with their own teams to some degree at that number, but it hasn't happened to this degree to an almost 30-year-old, with one exception. And much of the piece and much of the middle of this piece, which I'll tweet out again, revolves around Anthony Rendon, who I do not like as a one-to-one comp for Aaron Judge. But what I do like is that Anthony Rendon was 29 going on 30 when he hit free agency. His team had won the World Series. He was a major factor. They had just punted on Bryce Harper. So he was the kind of the focal point from a a position player standpoint. Certainly Juan Soto was a factor. And then he went out and said, I got to get paid now. This is absolutely as high as I'm ever going to be at. And if Washington can't come and meet any offer I get, and by the way, not include deferrals, which is what the Nats like to do, then I'm going to jump ship. And he did, right? The Los Angeles Angels gave him a $245 million offer, basically right right up front. And he took it for a chance to go play with Mike Trout. And nobody's going to blame him. Now, the contract looks like garbage right now because he's been unable to stay on the field. But there's a lot of similarities in a age... To some degree, production, i I'll lay out the stats there. That to some degree, there are some, some comparables in production, but also the, the respective team situation. Now, I'm not telling you the Yankees are going to win the World Series, but even if they don't, they've shown enough to prove that Aaron Judge plus this version of the Yankees can contend. So that's in the back of everybody's mind right now, especially when they get to the free agency and you know other teams come calling. So basically, that's what this piece is, and I'm not going to bury the lead here. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to go and read it and give me your thoughts on Twitter at SpotTrack. But it's my thoughts on what happens if this thing gets all the way to the finish line. He's at least a top three AL AL MVP candidate. The Yankees get to at least the AL Championship Series, and then he says, "All right, I'm open for business. Let's have thirty phone calls with thirty teams." What, what does it get to? What does the number get to? If I'm telling you Anthony Rendon got seven for 245 at age 29 going on 30, and Judge wants eight years at age 30, but Judge has a lot more, I think, of the modern game behind him from a production standpoint, where do we land, right? Where do we land in terms of future guarantees? What is that total contract number going to look at? Like? I'll tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of people saying it's 300 or bust, and I didn't get there. I didn't get there. I'm going to I'm going to be sympathetic if it does get there, especially if it's a team that doesn't have a player like Aaron Judge. By the way, the Yankees are one of those teams. If they lose Aaron Judge, they will not have another Aaron Judge. That's just kind of simple math. I don't know that it has to get to 300 million. So I'll give you that much in terms of my predictions, but I uh I wrote four or five concluding paragraphs and then a pretty strong prediction about where this thing could head um including what the Yankees may try to do in not paying Aaron Judge because there is a player out there who I've already mentioned here who I do think the Yankees will go after because he's younger, way more expensive, but younger and probably offers more bang for buck. So do the Yankees decide to go the Freddie Freeman route that Atlanta just took, which is we've loved it. It's been a great six years, but we're going to go in a different direction with a little bit younger player, pay him excellent money. Not really about the money here. It's about the money plus the age, plus the injuries. And uh, we're going we're gonna to take our chances on a different situation, but we'd we love to see that you're going to get paid by another great team out west, which is probably where this thing ends up if the Yankees say no. So I'm giving you kind of the framework and the outline for what this piece says. I'll, uh, I'll tweet that out again, but it's on spottrite.com as well. Okay. My thanks to The Athletic. Plenty of great pieces like this on that, on that website and that app as well. Visit com slash spot track for 40% off that first year. We'll be back this week with some NBA talk, talk about these finals a little bit, some trade candidates from all the teams with Keith Smith and play more Major League Baseball and NFL offseason stuff as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennady. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.